You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. We are back for another episode of the Michigan Life Outdoor Podcast. Welcome back and thank you for being here. Hope you guys all had a great 4th of July weekend. Stayed cool. Got to see some family, some friends. You know, maybe you did some fishing, you know, hung some trail cameras up at your deer property or whatever you did. I hope you guys enjoyed it and uh, celebrated America's freedom. On this episode, I am joined by Nick Otto of the Hunt of War podcast. And the reason why I had Nick on is it's a really good time of year to go through inventory in your freezer. Check the freezer, make sure it's working properly. Obviously, check your meat that you have left over in there from last year's um, season. See what you have left and start going through the cuts of meat that maybe you've been ignoring all year just because you didn't have time or you didn't know how to prep or you, you weren't prepared to cook or didn't know how to cook that cut of meat, whether that be a shank, a neck roast, or just something that you, you've kind of ignored all year. So let's go through that inventory. We talk a little bit about different ways to prepare different cuts of meat that you might have ignored and uh, to make room for this year's harvest. So without any further ado, here's Nick. All right. I've got Nick Otto on the podcast here. Uh, Nick, welcome. Hey, thanks, Lee. It is a beautiful night here in Michigan. Yeah, you uh, keeping cool over there or what? Absolutely not. It's, uh, I mean, we're doing this recording right here. Uh, it's 10 o'clock, and I still think it's probably upper 70s, close to 80 right now. It is so sticky. Oh. But at the same time, this is July. It's summertime. We're going to have plenty of time for winter to come. Like, I'm just sitting outside right now on the porch, and I'm just watching fireflies. Like, this is... This is quintessential best time of the year, right? You got a beer in your hand? Uh, I did. 
I did. I did not replenish. I already had two of those. <laughs> well, I had a couple, uh, a couple centennials. I had two centennial IPAs uh, from the from the east, or excuse me, from the west side of the state. Here, Founders makes those, and those are they're potent. So two is good. I should probably have a glass of water. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> hydrate before you go to bed, or else you're gonna wake up with a hangover. Exactly. Well, uh, hey, man, thanks for doing the podcast tonight. Um, I wanted to get you on your fellow Michigander, also a uh, a fellow Sportsman's Nation podcast creator and host. Um, let's get into it a little bit. Let's tell the folks uh, a little bit about yourself and uh, your podcast. Gotcha. Yeah, I am a uh, adult onset hunter. Uh, I came into this after college and I thought hunting was going to be a great way to supplement my diet basically uh no qualms against uh domestic meat um in fact i grew up on a, a turkey farm and that my parents still own my brother is actually operating that and so i just get to be on the outside kicker of the meat industry to see what's going on there and to help out um on the farm but at the same time jumping into this world of now wanting to pursue my own protein and get uh just new flavors that you're not going to get anywhere. And in fact, even from animal to animal is going to be a little different. And so that's been a journey that I've undertook since 2010. That's when I first jumped in, um, took down a little fork as my first deer. And from there, I just have not looked back, like started out with venison. That's still my main game. Um, but now with kids, uh, small game has opened up now. Uh, they love to go along with dad and, you know, luckily the one loves to jump on prickers. So it's like, good, go, go kick up the bunnies. Um, what's, spa- so what, what's experiencing sparked everything around me? What sparked it? Like, I mean, 2010, I mean, be, before that's like before the Instagram, Instagram craze of like, you know, wild game and stuff like that, like coming from the outside in, it's not saying that you're late in life, but like later on in life, what, can you remember that moment where that light bulb went off and it was like, I want to give this a shot? Yeah, I, uh, we, we moved out of an apartment and we got our first home and I had an acre that was, well, it was like an acre and a half. I had an acre and a half that was mine and that was such a cool experience. And to be able to say like, you know what, I'm going to do something with this acre and a half. And so I put down, you know, I, I borrowed the tractor from the farm and brought it over to to my place and used the rototiller and made a garden. And so it was really fun to like be in charge of what I, what I was going to eat and that whole culinary blossoming at that point, I wasn't going to any cafeteria at this point. I didn't have a meal plan. I had to cook for myself or spend a shit ton of money at some restaurant that I didn't want to do all the time. And as I was being able to control a little bit of what I was eating, you know, being choosy on what I wanted, kind of that locavore craze that took off right about that time. I saw hunting as a means for that as well, just to add in something different, but yet something super local. It seemed like, you know what, deer are plentiful on the landscape. This seems like something I could do. And little did I know what kind of Pandora's box that I was going to open up. Because then it became like, well, now I just want to sit out in the woods just to sit out in the woods. I, I enjoy the outdoors, uh, did a lot of hiking and backpacking in high school, and just being able to put all my passions together 
as far as being in wilderness, being in natural creation, but at the same time being able to harvest the bounty that's there and be able to feed friends and family. Yeah. And living in the state of Michigan, you know, we're really lucky. Like things come into season, um, different pursuits happen at different time of the year. Uh, I'm sure that started to unfold the deeper that you got and it went down this rabbit hole of wild game. Like, you know, the fall was a good time for obviously deer. If you're fortunate to draw like a bear tag or whatever it is. And then springtime, you got springtime turkeys, things like that. Wild or small game and, you know, in the late winter, things like that. Did you, uh, did that, did that open up to you as you, you kind of got deeper into this? Yes. Um, being at the farm, like, you know, blackberries was always a big thing. And actually that's kicking off. We're the tail end of that right now, at least with our bushes that hang out around the cornfields near us. Um, you know, that's always been a fun thing of like seasonality and knowing that those are ripe and great for the taking, like that's the time to get out there and do that. And then jumping into deer hunting and trying to figure that game out with my buddies as my mentors. And then at that point, learning about like just the other pursuits that are out there that, you know, when you chase bunnies and, and squirrels, it's not just, uh, to shoot them and then walk away. Like you, you can eat squirrel. There is a delicious, uh, meal that can be had and, you know, taking five big boxes or, you know, a couple heavy grays, uh, for your, uh, for your limit, like that's, that's what I got really excited about is that there's, 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 uh, something to be had. There's a harvest from each of these different things. So it is opened up as far as, you know, when one, one thing closes, when one season ends, another one is opening it up and it does change, um, keeps you on your toes on, on what you're trying to do. But at the same time, it also gives, you know, diversity when you do come up and you're like, well, we're, we're eating, you know, ground venison again in some other shape or form. And, you do that three nights in a row. Granted, I'm a left guy, so I could eat I could eat one meal. If I make a giant meal, like on the beginning of the week, I could probably feed on that for the whole week. But at the same time, now I'm into the next week, I'm looking for something a little different. Now I want a little bit of a little bit of change up there. So pulling out, you know, three or four rabbits and then doing a stew. Or at that point, like we we just jumped on ice fishing, me and my boys. And so to be able to pull out some of those uh, crappie and bluegill fillets right in the dead of winter. Like that's just a great surprise that can happen. So being able to just have variety that was kind of unknowingly at my disposal. It wasn't until I jumped in finally saying that I'm going to now, uh, pursue game that I could finally see like all the avenues that could be taken. Yeah. And I was just talking about meat too. And then, then like I totally overlooked like the, the fruits and vegetables that we have here in the state of Michigan, like the wild asparagus and, you know, like when cherries come into season up North and things like that, like there's something, you know, morel mushrooms, whatever it is, there's something to be had for most seasons throughout the growing seasons and stuff like that to complement whatever game you're chasing as well. And or fish or whatever it is. I mean, the state of Michigan, like it's just endless. I'm, I'm you know, growing up, it's like, Michigan, you know, you want to get out after college, you want to kind of like see the country, stuff like that. But then like something draws you all, you know, always back to Michigan to be like an area where you're like, man, I can really set up a way of life 
that I grew up loving. And it, it's just, there's like a draw that just draws you back to Michigan. It does. I, there's so many different small pockets of just amazement as, you know, living here in the, basically the middle of the, the palm of the mitten, you know, there's ag and there's woods. And so being a kid that got to, to be there, um, and experience that was, was wonderful. But then at the same time, we would take a, a trip during the summer or something to Lake Michigan, and it would just be a beautiful beach that you couldn't find unless it was on the, one of the ocean coasts. And you would just see water as far as you can. You can't see the other side. That's the cool part about it is it's like a fresh ocean mm-hmm. that we have right here in the middle of the United States. But then at the same time, you can shoot up north and you can feel like you're close to the Arctic Circle, you know, where there's just all the current, or the uh, the pine trees that are all up in the UP, and then the different topography that's up there. There's just a surprise around every corner that, yeah, if you're looking, you're going to be amazed by it. But yeah, there's times where it's like, well, I want to go to someplace exciting where, man, we've got so much excitement going on here in our state. I think we just need to slow down and just take a look around. Yeah. Yeah. The, the opportunities are endless no matter what time of the year it is. So this passion of yours for the outdoors, this, you know, this pursuit of wild game and things like that. Super awesome to hear, especially folks realizing that, you know, you're you're never too old or late in life to, to start doing it. What, how did that lead into a podcast and what, and what is that podcast? Gotcha. So, I got listening into podcasts probably around the same time that I got into to hunting as, as well. Um, sick of just finding stuff on radio and then learned about this idea on that there's like this internet radio that you can look up topics that you want to listen to. And so I found several uh, podcasts that I really liked. At that point, um, our own Michigan Mark Kenyon was lifting off with Wired to Hunt. And so I was listening specifically to that, the, that podcast and he had on a wild game chef. He had Hank Shaw and I listened to that episode probably four or five times in a row because of all the awesome information that I was getting off of how to, how to better use my venison. You know, at that point, Dan was the co-host on that, that podcast. So it was, uh, Dan and Mark going back and forth, talking to Hank and Hank just talking about venison. And it just got me amped up. And then I had to wait for the next time that Hank or some other culinary uh, guru was going to be on some, some hunting podcast that I could then find more information on what to do with my now animal that I've got. You know, I got all this venison. What do I do with it? You know, I got, I got this turkey. What do I do with it? And that got me really excited, but then that that excitement would would be left, you know, wanting more because there wasn't at that point there wasn't a podcast on that. So a good buddy of mine said, "Well, instead of waiting for a podcast, why don't you make the podcast?" So I thought, you know what, that's I can talk a lot. That's that's what I, I usually end up doing. I end up usually talking people's ears off. So let's do it about something I'm excited about. So I launched the Hunt of podcast and I actually, we, a couple weeks ago, I just celebrated ye- the completion of year three and the start of year four. 
And to think like, can you really talk about food for three years and then look about, you know, for 26 <laughs> episodes a year, can you really just sit there and talk about food? You betcha. Oh, yeah. And I could probably do it for three or four more at this point. Like it's, there's just so many avenues that you could go with it and anywhere from very high scale. And I even want to make sure that I, I get even the traditional stuff as far as what is just an easy way. What's something you can do on a midweek Wednesday at that point, like kids are in soccer, you're coming home, you got 30 minutes to make something and you got a frozen brick of ground. What can you make that people are going to at least be happy about, you know, throwing down the gullet at that point. So that's what, that's kind of like Huntivore in a nutshell is it's, you know, no egos, no status. We're just in this for the pursuit of natural protein. Now, do you have a culinary background? I do not. Um, I got a waistline that would say otherwise. But <laughs> I. <laughs> hey, at least you're honest, I man. I got excited. <laughs> exactly. We need to get rid of it. Yeah. But I love building onto it as well. Um, I My mother really was kind of my inspiration when it came to the kitchen. She was always doing something, or at least if she wasn't making something new, she was making something that uh, was going to be uh, somebody, somebody's favorite. And so they were, she was always good at that. Um, she would do a lot with turkey being that we were on the turkey farm and breakfast was our big meal of the day. As far as like, as a, as a wrestler in high school, like there, there were meals that I was just going to say like, you know what, it's way in day. I can't, I'm not going to do lunch. I'm not going to do dinner the night before, but there was breakfast that I was always going to be a part of. And that was either going to be like an egg with some smoked turkey or something along that lines. So that was, that was a big part of my upbringing was the kitchen. She, she turned that not into just a, a room of our house, but that was kind of like the central hub or the focus. That's where we did our homework. That's where we sat down together. And while food kind of played a side role on that, it was also still very important. So when I finally got a chance to then be my own head of household, I really put a, an emphasis on food and kitchen and that this is going to be something that, yeah, I want, I'm going to nourish, you know, my boys are all sitting there and I'm going to throw food at them to nourish them. But at the same time, I'm going to try to make their favorites and I'm going to try to make them uh, stuff that, that really kind of builds into them. Um, you know, we talk about soul food, at least down uh, in Cajun country, they talk about soul food. And it's really that, you know, you can find different ways where food is going to speak to you. Everybody's got a memory. Everybody's got something about uh, a dish that, you know, when they eat it, it's not just, you know, nutrients going down uh, into their stomach, but it's literally like memories pop right up and that you get to relive that every time you have that dish. Dude, I like that you guys like breakfast in your household. I love breakfast. That's my favorite meal of the day, hands down. <laughs> really is. Um, well, cool, man. That's great. I mean, the, the podcast, congratulations on three going on four years. That's awesome. That's, that's a lot longer than a lot of podcasts last. And for you to do it, you could tell like your enthusiasm and your passion is, you know, keeping it going and what you're doing must be authentic if you're doing it that long. It It's kind of a selfish endeavor. Like I need a cover, a way to call up people and just say, Hey, would you talk to me for an hour yeah. about food? And this is, I'm just using the podcast as the cover. It makes me sound a little more professional, but I'm amazed at how many people continue to tune in and to listen 
And I think there's a real, I think there's a real hunger if I'm going to go play on words or, you know what, I'm, I'm, if I'm going to hunt this animal, I want to use it to the best of my ability. And you know what, having somebody talk about that, that, that might be something I want to try either listen to, or I heard a couple ideas. And so now I'm going to try and implement those. Yeah. Like just hearing stories of people saying like, Hey, I tried what you did the other day. And it was like, you know, that's a big win there. Cause I know they tried something that was outside of their wheelhouse. And at the same time, it might be a new favorite in their house. Do you, uh, do you break down the recipes or post them anywhere? Or is it just all on the podcast for the most part? I need to get better at that. I've got a couple that are on the sportsman nation uh, website okay. and they're down in the blog section. Um, I tried my hand at, ma- at making hot dogs. Um, I got a, uh, what'd you use for the hot dogs? Gyoza. Uh, I used venison shoulder and the, it's more or less basically the, uh, the emulsification process Okay, where everybody has seen that YouTube video of like, how do you make hot dogs? And you're immediately turned off for hot dogs for the next month because you're like, that is a pink goo coming out of that machine and then getting shoved into casings. And the reason that it has to be that pink goo is you're not going to get that like bologna snap and texture if you were just to shove ground meat into a casing. Right. Um, So that most of that article is just basically going through why you have to not only grind it, uh, with the seasonings, which has like a, a paprika, has a, a mustard powder, onion powder, um, kind of like a just a real small select bit of uh, of seasonings that you know are pretty much every day. But then when you to, to make your texture, you have to grind it, grind that all together, and then put it into a food processor or blender, and you want to then drizzle in. Uh, super chilled water, like water that you've either melted, you've, you know, water that you've had ice in that it's, that's now meant and you want that super cold. Everything in this process has to be super cold. But as you drizzle that water in, you're going to begin to mix the fats and meats together into a, I'm, I'm going to say slurry. I know that's a terrible word for what I'm trying to describe, but by making that slurry and then running that into casing, you get a full link that you smoke it and then you can put that on. I tell you, it changes the way that you, that you veal hot dogs. Um, I, I really enjoy them. And if there wasn't a ton of process to go along with it, I'd probably make them more, but that was one of the labor intensive projects that I was able to document <laughs> was, was the hot dog. So would I do it again? Yes. In a very large batch that would take me a whole day to be able to do because I would make enough to last me the year. So if that makes any sense, it's probably kind of like the tamales thing where people make tamales one time a year, but because it's a huge process to do all the folding of the, uh, the corn husks, yeah. like do it all in one day and then just be done. Just so be that's done where I would it. equate, equate that one too. Yeah. And the ultimate test is if your kids eat it or not. Oh, exactly. They suck them down and I'm just like, boom, that's a win. <laughs> we'll take it. Perfect. Well, it's, it's good that I had you on the podcast because I think it's, it's, a, it's a good time of year for people to, um, you know, we're, we're doing this the second full week basically of July 
it's a good time of year for people to do like an inventory, I think, on their freezer and what wild game they still have in their freezer um, going into fall. There's it's it's a good time to say, hey, I forgot that was in there or that cut of meat or whatever that is that you've been putting off because maybe you just don't know how to cook it. You maybe you got it back from the butcher and you just simply like, you know, you, you cooked all your favorite cuts first and you don't know what to do, but it's a good time to make room for what's going into the fall. So that way that meat doesn't fall to the bottom, get freezer burned and then get wasted. Like that's, that's something that I would hate to see. I hate seeing it. And I think this time of year, we should kind of talk about some different cuts of meat that a lot of folks might be apprehensive to talk about and, or learn how to cook. So I guess I'll start this off with one that I think a lot of people don't ask for from the butcher or if they do get it back, they're not sure what to do with. And that'll be the neck roast. I remember growing up, um, you know, we, we do all our own processing. It's just something my grandpa, my uncle, my dad, my brother and I, like we just instilled it in us. Like we process our own deer every single year. Um, so one thing that we we started to do a very long time ago as a kid was keep the neck meat. And I've seen a lot of people throwing it away or not asking for it back from the butcher. Or if they did get it back, they just simply didn't know what to do with it. So I'll just kind of start this off with me. Like if you have a neck roast, whether that's bone in, preferably bone out nowadays with maybe if you're in a CWD area. But um, yeah. The, my favorite way to cook that is just with in a slow cooker, which everybody probably has one. If you don't, you probably got one when you got married or you have one from college, um, like a crock pot or something like that. And what I like to do is sometimes if you, you just throw it in there with some water, um, don't be afraid to be somewhat liberal with the water. If anything, add more than what you think you should, uh, not less. So it doesn't dry out. And basically like, it's really easy because you probably have it in your, 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 you know, your pantry, which is like a mixed seasoning for a crock pot meal, like crockery gourmet, I think makes one. And then what I like to do is add in like Lipton's onion mix, like a, like a recipe soup and dip mix that you can sprinkle on there. And then you can just like throw some onions in there or whatever it is, and then set it on lower medium for eight hours, let it cook all day. And then when you get home, that meat will be so tender and it'll almost be like stringy, almost like pulled pork, if that makes sense, or like a roast. And you can either, you know, serve that and uh, with like mashed potatoes or like all the juices on the, on the bottom of the pan, you can make like a gravy out of. And the other good thing with that too is you can make, you can shred that up and make tacos if you want to add more seasoning to it, or you can add barbecue sauce for it and make like a barbecue sandwich, like a, almost like a, you know, like a pulled beef barbecue sandwich and the kids really like it and things like that. And I seen a lot of people like, I don't want the neck meat or I, I don't ask for the neck meat bad. And I just, or I'd see them in the bottom of freezers or people that didn't use them. And I was like, you know, why didn't you cook this? And they're just like, I don't know how to cook neck, neck meat. And at the end of the day, it's like, Neck meat is just like any, for the most part, any other roast. And if anything that you slow cook for a long time, as you know, is going to fall apart and you can do something with it. Exactly. Exactly. People put a name with something and then they feel like, man, this, this needs to stay in this box right? where 
you can totally flex out of wherever you're trying to go. Um, there is a treasure on the inside of a neck roast. So if you got your neck and you, you mentioned you, uh, do your own processing, yep. you'll, you'll see this too. Like you'll, you'll make your, your cut ends for where you're cutting off your back strap and then you're, you're going to peel those out. And then you've kind of made that distinction on where the neck starts. If you look at that cut end that you've made, you'll notice that that back strap continues or, or there is a fillet that will run up all the way pretty much to the apex where the uh, spine and the skull come together. Now it does taper uh, quite quickly and in a smaller dough, you're probably not going to find that, but you get yourself a big nanny dough or even a good sized buck and run your blade up on that uh, top of the vertebrae there and open the top of that up and you're going to be able to find um, neck fillet in, a, in lamb. This is a, a thing over in England. They really uh, like that uh, neck fillet is what they refer to it as. But it's basically the backstrap that continues all the way up. And that little treasure, I have been able to save large sections of backstrap, you know, aside or at least multiply how much backstrap I am able to, to feed or to do different dishes with just because I've been able to then have like a neck fillet one night with my family, you know, and you get a big buck and that's pretty, that's a big section of very tender meat that you're going to be able to then just grill and sear that a lot of people haven't even noticed. They throw that into the gut pile along with the rest of the neck roast that they weren't going to use or they cut it up and it goes into the grind. And so they've got some primo opportunity that has been hiding underneath a lot of layers of tough tissue. So next time you're taking apart a deer, don't just kind of put the neck roast in that, that bubble or that box, but search in there a little bit deeper. Don't just always go in with a knife at that point. Also use your thumb or your yeah. finger and go ahead and just peel <laughs> that, uh, that section out. And you're going to be able to have more treasure come this part of July. Yeah. And especially if folks, if you get one and you can let it hang for a few days and then the, you know, obviously the temperature has got to be right. So make sure it's cool. That meat's going to come off that bone, the longer it sits on there and the tender it becomes and the cooler it is. Like you said, you can run your finger up there and almost like peel that stuff right away from the bone and you're not wasting anything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like you were even saying, like with that slow cooker process, you know, the, the guy that I really, that kind of like kicked this off for me, or at least the guy I really started following along with being that Hank Shaw, he's got a quote that says, if you can braise anything long, or if you can braise it long enough, even a stone will get soft. So you put the hardest of hardcore pieces of meat into a slow cooker or a pressure cooker, or even, you know, old school cast iron Dutch oven. And you just give it time with low temperature, magic happens. You were just talking about how that stuff is just so soft and velvety. All that tough tissue in there, you know, be it uh, silver skin, that's never going to get soft. But at the same time, like all that collagen, all that connective tissue is going to then break down and just be this like gelatinous layer. It's going to thicken your stews. It's going to make, it's just going to add this mouthfeel that when you eat it, like when you say, like when you're making tacos, like you just have this 
fatty rich bite that you take and it's like that is just the epitome of delicious yeah i mean the, the people are scared of like tendons and other things like that like like you said like the longer you can put it in there um you know, you shouldn't be afraid of any cut of meat that you can let soften up and peel off of. And you'll see like what's edible and what's not. And really just, you know, a lot of the times, even if the bone is still in all that bone marrow or whatever that is, is going to break down all that nutrients that's in the bone is just going to go into those stew juices. And you can just, man, I mean, it adds that much more flavor. So, yeah, I know we're, we're talking about this stuff here in July and like doing something in the crock pot kitchen. Like it doesn't sound that appetizing. But at the same time, like a big spread of tacos, that it's all the shredded meat sounds just absolutely stellar right now. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, you like to eat on it for a week. So you can make whatever you want out of it for like a week and get creative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's another piece of meat or a cut of meat that you kind of see some guys and gals maybe shying away from or ones that come back from the butcher that people don't know what to do with? Um, Shanks is gaining popularity. Um, I think folks jumping on the Asobuco have really, um, where Asobuco is a, a, I think it's started in Italian or as an Italian dish. And basically it's a cross section of a shank, be it beef or pork at that point. And so you get a round of meat and then you have a bone with the marrow in it. And just like we were talking, you go with the slow stew on these. Um, with a venison, you can probably get three or four um, sections. I know towards more of the the forearm or the, or the knee at that point, you're going to get a bigger round. So, like, that could be a serving for one person. Whereas if you get closer down to the ankle and the hoof, it's going to be, well, you need two of these on a plate in order to, to feed somebody. But at the same, at the same time, like that slow cooking um, on that, that braising method, it's just going to work wonders on that cut. But I think like shakes is really kind of on, on it's up, up and coming. Um, one piece that has always really been my white whale. If I'm going to go to use something from a, a novel, like my Moby Dick is the ribs and like the <laughs> flanks. Yeah. Like that is a section that I, and it, it's all opportunistic because a guy shoots one with, you know, I, I get one with my slug gun and man, there's, I'm going to have a lot of meat loss because I just put that, that large of a bullet through that animal. And there's, there's the bone shards and there's blood and you just got to cut white around it. There's, there's nothing you can do about, about that. Um, but at the same time, if you're able to put in a, an arrow shot from your archery equipment, that you know if you're i use a fixed blade so if my fixed blades happen to just go vertical in between two of the bones i have a whole section of rib that's pretty much been untouched and so going a couple different ways on that you can either um kind of sticking with the low and low and slow method but what i'll do is i'll actually cut out individual ribs and then leave the bone leave the meat attached at the one end but roll the meat off the off to the that one end. So basically, I've created a pinwheel with that meat off the rib itself. Okay. And then I tie it together with a piece of string, and it it looks like a, a teeny tiny uh, T bone, or excuse me, like a like a 
like a tomahawk steak, mm-hmm. or like I think it looks like a lollipop because it's re- literally at that point it's like a one bite scenario. Like this would be a great appetizer if you could do a whole rack this way, where you just roll that meat up onto onto itself and then tie it onto the rib. And what I did is I put those in a slow cooker and I had to be careful, very ginger on like making sure that they stayed together. But as they they were in that slow cooker, slowly stewing, everything was softening up, but they were holding that shape um, because I had tied it off. I would then, I then pulled those out probably after four hours. They weren't um, completely gone to mush at that point. I wanted to keep some toothiness to them. And then I ladled out, I cut, well, cut off the strings first. But then I just brushed on a whole bunch of sparsy barbecue sauce, and then you put those over over coals and just give them a good char all the way around. And that is just a fun way to present a piece of meat that often gets left out in the woods. Um, but again, it's all on on if you're presented with that full rack. Right. Um, I'll even take that a step further and just cut out. Uh, the bones and I have a, I'll have a, a large sheet. And I think I threw a video out on the sportsman's nation YouTube channel on this one. And I called it a rib roll. And it is, I, I, the, I went with a different style of a video. So I don't talk through the whole thing. Like I, but I emphasize like the cuts and where you want to put it. So it is, you're going to be like, well, Nick, tell me what you're, you're doing here. And I don't, I just kind of show you what I'm doing. So, You'll have to get in. You'll have to forgive my artsy side that I tried to get all, all fancy with. But at the same time, as I pull out that uh, rib cage, and I'm left with a full sheet of the rib meat at that point. I tried to keep it together as much as possible. Um, going through and just trying to get the big gristles that are out, I'll end up rolling that up tight into a, into a cylinder, and then I'll cook it tied off like that. And then from there, I. I pull it out after I've, uh, I've cooked it and then I'll chill it down. So I've done a, like a long braise on it and then I'll keep it together, roll it up in some shrink wrap and then just let that chill down from there. It's pretty much all the way cooked, but then I'll slice it in rounds. And it's like, that is a great breakfast item. It does take a little forethought at that point, but now I just fry up both sides of that ring as I'm doing you know, a couple sunny side eggs, and then you just pop those on top. And then at that point, because you've given the sear and it's already had that long uh, braising process, you can then basically fork or uh, fork cut that. You know, you just basically you can just peel it apart, and man, it washes really down great with a little bit of hot sauce. Dude, I like that breakfast spin on it. Getting back to your roots there. I tell you, it always comes back. If I can eat, you know, I can eat a lot of things for breakfast, but if I can attribute it to my favorite meal, like I always will. <laughs> All right. Here's another one that I see in the bottom of freezers that a lot of people don't use, or they just don't know what to do with it. Wild turkey drums, drumsticks. They eat the breast typically, you know, like right away, but I'll see some, you know, they save them because they know that they can do something with it, but they're just not sure what to do with it. Being a, growing up on a turkey farm, What's a hot tip you got for guys to or guys and gals to uh, to cook those up? Um, with a domestic bird, I mean they're hefty, and you can go with a nice long smoke on on those drumsticks and get to a point where basically you can wrap it up and then it's like Renaissance Fair 
or like caveman style where right. you can just rip on the side of it. It's because they're such athletic animals. Like we have to go back to what we know. I know we talked about getting outside of boxes, but at the same time, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If, if we're using venison shanks and we're being able to, we, we've got this new tool of a slow cooker or we've got the brazing technique down, like using uh, a turkey shank or a turkey drumstick is a perfect way to be able to put that into that slow cooker and let that do its thing. I find that the mild flavor of turkey works really well with a fruit wood smoke. If you want to smoke it first, then go to a braise. At the same time, citrus is a huge pairing when it comes with turkey. So if you are going to go into a slow cooker, like see if you can't add some oranges or some of the, the sweeter limes, or excuse me, uh, lemons, heck, throw a lime in there. Get some citrus in there, some of that acidic uh, flavor in that. Onions work out really good. And I tell you, that sounds like a very festive like stew that you got going on there. Even if it's a, a soup at that point where you're keeping it broth-based, um, that's another way you could do that. Or if we just go back to the, like, the basic thing that you can do, if you wanted to stew one down for just soup or just uh, stock that you're going to make, that's a great use for that piece that you're like, I don't know if I want to gnaw on this drumstick for two days. Well, cook it, you know, go with that braising technique, save all the stock, jar it up or bag it up or, or freeze it however you want to, because there's going to come a time where you're going to need that stock for the next bird that you're going to do something with. Okay. So maybe it might not be an ingredient that you use right then, but I tell you, dark meat does a great wondrous when it comes to adding body to that that was one that like i feel like a lot of people always save because they know you know what i mean like they they're gonna do something with it but then it's always ends up freezer burnt in the bottom of the freezer and no one does something with it and i think that's that was a good hot tip to how to you know kind of get those out and it's something that you can do super quick super easy especially with it being summertime there's a lot of great fruits coming in right now you could throw in there like you said and uh you know, do something with create stock or whatever it is and, uh, use that bird to, to its full potential. Yeah. And that, that braising technique too, be it venison or even, even Turkey. Like if there's something where the seal is broken and you're just like, shoot, like a part of this is just, it's freezer burn. It's right. bad. Yep. Take a deep breath, cut it off and go back with your braising technique. It's, it's freezer burn. It's not, it's not bacteria ridden. Right. You'll, you can, you can salvage what you can off that. If you braise it long enough, or if you're making stock at that point, like a little bit of freezer burn is, is never going to hurt your, your final product at the end. You're never going to know that that was a little bit of freezer burn. Uh, when we have things that are freezer burnt, it's usually flavorless and it's, uh, and it's chewy. You know, when you're making the stock, neither of those things really come into play because you've got the flavor from the bone and from the, the rest of the meat. And you don't have to chew on the stock at that point. So you've kind of, you've found the back door when it comes to, if you've got freezer burn something, maybe, maybe that's a stock element that you can use with that. Or maybe this is a braised piece that the longer that it sits and marinades in its own juice at that point, it's going to start to build. Right. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I think, um, you know, f- folks are worried about is that freezer burn. It's not, 
it's not like a contamination of the meat. It's really just the flavor of that area is gone. Like there's, you know, for the most part, all the blood and everything else. And for the most part, the nutrients in that area is probably just gone. But like you said, if you unthaw and cut it out, you're really not going to know that freezer, that, that cut of meat was ever freezer burnt if you braise it or you slow cook it or whatever. Correct. Correct. Right. Now you do have the unique situation. Like I had my, my, uh, beer fridge took a crap on us, uh, just this past week and I opened it up and I could just kind of see soft on all the bags. Like they weren't unfrozen, but they right. were definitely soft on the outsides. And so you're like, no, 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 no. So immediately I went into, uh, my freezer down plan and I have a couple different freezers at my disposal that I was able to get those pieces that were, that were still salvageable and mm-hmm. I could get those into back into the freezer. So at that point, like, good, we, we haven't lost that. Uh, there, you just get up with some of those odds and end cuts. Like I, I have a, a one that was diced and I didn't have a lot of diced pieces in there. It was probably from a couple shoulders that I cut up and I'll end up, I like having a, a bag of, of grind, but then at the same time, I like having the diced, if I'm going to make like a pot pie right. or a, a stew, I get, you know, one inch quarters on that. Stir fry or but something. that bag, yeah. And that bag happens to be sitting on the door where actually the door was actually prop. Like that was part of it is that the door hadn't got closed all the way. There was something else in, in the seal. And so that was the first thing to thaw out. So I, could I have opened it and used that right away? Uh, giving, opening it up and then smelling it, that would have probably been my very first move. If my nose did not immediately turn my head sideways, like, all right, we're, we're good with this. We're going with it. But I wasn't able to use it at that moment. And I, I didn't want to keep it in the fridge for a couple of days at that point. So I, unfortunately that bag of dice had to go to the trash can. So I do, I don't like to throw away. Uh, game, I would love to use it, and as much as I do try to, you know, get it to my boys and stuff, I'm always trying to find ways to clean the freezer out. Like at this this time of year, knowing that the seasons are are coming, but just being able to be on top of what you have in there and just your freezer maintenance, making sure that you either have a, an alarm on it, or which I need to get, I need to get a couple of alarms, or just making sure your door is firmly closed. Cause yeah, at some point, you know, like, like, yeah, our fridge took a dump. And so I lost, I lost some good pieces, but luckily I, I didn't lose everything. Yeah. It's good to folks listening to this, to go through your free- freezer and restack things. Like you don't want to move it around too much where you're like puncturing holes or like slamming things around, but you know, dig down see what you got, move stuff around, bring things up to the top. Um, you know, and then if you got game in there from a year or previous years, move those dates up, those older dates up towards the top. And then, you know, that way you're not opening your freezer, um, come fall time to stack your new, whatever harvest or whatever you're, you're, you're putting in there. And you're not just burying that down towards the bottom. Like, yeah, that's cool that you shot that deer and it's fresh or that shot that animal and it's fresh and you want to eat it. But I think we owe it to the the ones that you shot previously to eat up first, knowing that you still got good fresh meat there shot this season as well. Amen. Amen. Yeah, man. And a full freezer is going to last as well. Sure. Um, not just, not just culinarily and what, and what we eat, but in the case of like, I have a, a vertical freezer and 
I, instead of just like stacking things on the shelf and leaving a bunch of dead space, I have, I have bins that are in there. These, just these plastic bins and I can then fill up a bin and then whatever of that whole airspace is then filled with frozen meat at that point. And if I end up with a bin that's not full, I'll take, uh, we use distilled water in our coffee maker because we're also coffee foodies as well. So we need, we need the clean water. That That's my wife's doing. Oh, I would just rather use the tap. But that's another here and there. Amen to that, though, dude. <laughs> I like coffee. <laughs> but I'll take those leftover jugs, fill it with tap water, and then stack those in the empty bins that are in there just to be basically a heat sink at that point. So my freezer is always full of some sort of frozen substance. Oh, I got you. Or in the chest freezer, if you keep that full where you know you either you get your deer put it into a box and at that point like keep that deer in that box and then yeah bring it to the top and then take the fresh box put it underneath don't just let stuff you know go all over the place granted it does take a little bit of organization and time and thought and how many people do you know thought and <laughs> planning when it comes to their freezers but at the same time using that mentality power goes out for a couple days and you're worried about it you just keep that door closed and you're going to be able to salvage a lot of that. Will they get soft on the outside a little bit? Possibly, possibly, but you're going to save majority of your hard earned protein just by keeping your freezers packed full. Right. Yeah. And then if, like you were saying, alluding to earlier, use your nose. Like if it's a little soft up top, it's not a big deal to get that freezer back up and running or bring it in the house freezer or whatever you got to do to get it solid again. Um, I forget what episode I was listening to, but people were talking about like, can you eat meat that has been partially unthawed and then rethawed again or refrozen again? And I think the consensus was whoever the meat expert was, was like, you lose a little bit of like nutrients, but for the most part, that meat's going to be fine. As long, like you said, go off of your smell and everything like that. Yeah. With, with like the freeze throw, freeze throw thing, I think the major thing is you're going to come into dryness. Right. Um, especially if it's a piece of steak. It, you know, at that point, um, I, Alton Brown, he's a food network guy, but he did a great demonstration where when you, when you freeze something, the water molecules basically turn into like tiny, tiny knives. And so, you know, like, like when you use a tenderizer, it's got all these like little piercings or these little needles. And basically when you freeze something, that's, that's what happens. And your goal is to get a whole bunch of, you know, to, to freeze hard and fast so that you have a whole bunch of little knives versus a slow freeze where you get these big stabs through your meat. But, pr- but doing that process back and forth, back and forth, you're just going to deplete it of moisture at that point. So that steak, no matter how well you go medium rare is still going to be dry because you've just stabbed it with a bunch of ice. Paint. I gotcha. Um, so yeah, the back and forth, you don't want to do that. And there is, a, there's the whole uh, bacteria thing that it just opens up the door for contamination. You don't want to do that. But as far as like taking out some meat, getting it half frozen, go through the grinder and then refreeze that grind. I don't see any problem with that. You know what I'm guilty of? is when I get like, obviously I'm jacked when I get an animal in the freezer, things like that. And like you have steaks right away, but then I get that feeling of like, Oh my God, I gotta, I gotta conserve my, my backstraps or my, my loins or something like that. 
And then like this time of year, I'll go in there and I've got like three packages left still of like the steaks. I'm like, okay, I got to force myself to eat this really, really good cut of meat because it's just going to motivate me to get back out there and try to get that freezer full again. So this time (laughs) of year, like I still got steaks in there. I'm like, just eat the damn things. You're going to get more of it. It's going to make you want to hunt harder, all that kind of stuff. So if you're like me out there and you savor the steaks, don't savor them too much. Go ahead and start cooking them this time of year and use that as motivation and fuel to get back out there and uh, get some more some more meat in the freezer. Amen. I, I do. I hide backstrap. In fact, <laughs> I, I know I know I have two bags in there. In fact, I think I have tenderloin as well that's that's in there because oh, I, I squirrel stuff away. I yeah. I'm just as bad as you are because yeah, I want I, or I, I'm not ready to cook something. I want to do some sort of presentation with it, but you're right. This is barbecue season. This is get together season. The pandemic is over. Well, is it over? Uh, whatever. Wherever. But anyway, yeah. people are getting together and this is your flex right now. If you want, if you want to be the big hunter in your group of friends, this is when you bring out your backstrap because the other guys, they've eaten it already. It's already gone and you have all attention on you at this point. So this as a wild game chef, this is our flex time. This is when we show off. Dude, that's a great way to look at it. We're masters of the grill this time of year. Let's use it to our advantage. And then once we're empty, we're like, all right, time to get back in there and get back after it again. So, all right, well, that's a great way to end it. Um, you know, Nick, thanks for coming on the podcast. Where can folks find out more about you and, uh, follow along? Gotcha. Yeah, if they're listening here already, they're big fans of Sportsman's Nation, and I am too. Uh, Being a part of a great group of guys uh, and gals that are, we're super relatable. We work, you know, nine to five, just like everybody else, but we just have a passion for the outdoors. We have a passion for uh, being one with creation, and we just, we love to be able to share our, our, uh, our passions. Mine happens to be through food. And if you look up Huntivore, pretty much anywhere on the internet, it's going to steer you right over here to sportsman's nation. Um, that's where my podcast is at. That's where I house my, my blogs or my blog entries, uh, short right now, hoping to be able to expand out to those, uh, more write-ups, get some more recipes written down. But if you are someone who wants to open up more into your culinary aspects, as far as wild game and its presentation and just trying to find some new flavors out there to just, spice things up um head over to my instagram i'm trying to always either put something new on there that i that i've done or what somebody else has done there's a great group um of folks that i follow on instagram and i try to share their stuff but it just kind of follow along with the uh the wild game stuff there so and that's at at huntivore and i think i'm on facebook as well that's at Huntivore podcast. Dude, I love the way you so, do I love the way you do your stories too cuz like you can see what Nick's cooking or if you're doing something that weekend and for the most part he lays it out, you know, kind of like his process of preparing it, then putting it in the cooker or the the you know, the smoker or whatever it is and then you can see the finished product and then I would I would assume after that you have no problem with folks DMing you like how you did whatever and you you're willing to share whatever. Yeah, yeah, hit me up, ask me questions. Um Tell me stuff that you would do different. Like I'm totally open to discussion on that. I think coming not from the culinary world, I'm not shy to say that I'm not an expert. And if you've got a good idea, like let me hear it. And I want to give it a shot and try it. I try it a couple different ways, but yeah, that whole story feature, I, it, 
it grips me as a storyteller, as someone who loves to talk. Like that's the best feature that I have found so far uh, on that Instagram thing. Cause yeah, I can bring you along my whole evening as I'm cooking stuff up. And if you look in the background, you see kids that are rolling their eyes because they're like, dad's on his phone again. Taking <laughs> food. I'd rather be eating it. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Well, hey, thanks for spending your evening with me and with and with us. And uh, stay cool over there, right, man? Oh, will do. Will do. Hey, thanks for having me on. This has been fun. All right, buddy. See ya.